Business Parada, where we take just 10 minutes to get you smarter on the collision of tech, business, and politics. I'm Dan Permack. On today's show, Google fires critical employees and a Thanksgiving break from technology. But first, Iran's internet blackout. So on November 17th, the Iranian government turned off the internet within the country. No more emails, e-commerce, or cat videos. A few folks managed to get around it, but according to one estimate from NetBlocks, internet traffic inside Iran fell by around 95%. Now, all of this was in response to protests over the government's decision to raise gas prices there by around 50%, something that had stunned an oil-rich country where cheap gas had been viewed almost as birthright. The protests were serious business, with buildings burned and many protesters reportedly killed. But most Iranians were kept intentionally in the dark, as were many outside of Iran for a while, as journalists struggled to export information. Some internet restoration began about a day or two ago, but as of last check, many remain without. Why it matters is that repressive governments have recognized the threat posed to them by the internet and are taking complicated and costly steps to counter it. What's happened this month in Iran not only impacts people there, but could become a template that affects people around the world. In 15 seconds, we'll go deeper with CIA veteran and Iran expert Norman Rule. But first, this. Axios chief technology correspondent Ina Fried shares breaking news and analysis on the most consequential companies and players in tech from the Valley to DC. Subscribe to get smarter faster at signup.axios.com. And now back to the Pro Rata podcast. We're joined now by Norman Rule, a 34-year CIA veteran whose roles included being responsible for overseeing all aspects of national intelligence policy and activities related to Iran. This internet blackout in Iran, which began on November 17th and is gradually being lifted, from your perspective, was it primarily about stopping protesters from communicating with one another or preventing Iranians from being able to see the protests? Well, both, but it's more than that. The uh, internet system the Iranians have built is a complex one, and they've done so at great cost, spending approximately $450 million on this. And you have to imagine that what they've done is they have an internal system, and they allow only a couple of nodes, a couple of exits to the outside world. But that's also to prevent the outside world from coming into Iran. The Iranians claim they built the system because of cyber attacks and cyber threats. And indeed, Iran has faced, like any other country, many cyber attacks, some of which they blame on foreign governments. But more so, the supreme leader and Iran's hardliners firmly believe that their hold on power is undercut by their people's ability to access and understand Western culture and the outside world. So they want to keep news out. They want to keep culture out. And then during times of unrest, they want to prevent the world from understanding what's going on in their country. And then finally, they want to use this to not just stop protesters from talking to each other, but to identify where protesters are in country so that they can track down oppositionists. It's really an amazingly dark system. How effective is it? I think, for example, of people who I know who are in China who will talk about about how certain news, et cetera, is censored, but they can get around that via the use of things like VPNs. Is it possible or easy to get around it if you're on the ground in Iran? Or is it indeed, as you say, kind of this true kind of curtain that, that goes down? And if you're in country, you're not getting outside access? Well, like any technology, there's always a counter technology that can obviate some of its effectiveness. 
But the ability to spread those Conner technologies throughout the country, that's very difficult. So there was, throughout the recent unrest, some videotapes, some stories of what was going on in the country getting out, but not a lot. And more importantly, the Iranians, or as important, I should say, the Iranians weren't seeing how the outside world was understanding, perceiving, and responding to the unrest. It pretty much is a uh, lockdown in both directions. I know you're not there anymore, but I'm curious, give me a sense, or at least what you imagine or what you hear, was the reaction on the ground to losing internet, losing connectivity, I guess is basically the way to say it, particularly mobile. I I think of us in the United States, if Americans lost internet access, I I think the outrage of that would certainly dwarf any outrage of very high gas prices. Well, that's true. But again, that outrage over gas prices, over uh, internet connectivity, over a variety of things is being shaped by Iranian security forces who are deployed in very large numbers and in very complex manner to put down the unrest. Iranian security forces would include cyber teams to, again, track down people who are organizing protests or spreading word of protest. They would include interrogators, crowd control, and the nature of Iran's suppression of its uh, domestic operations position was really quite extensive. And indeed, the speed by which they deployed both security personnel and the lockdown of the internet system shows that they anticipate the need to do so. So Iran basically is becoming a government which devotes a lot of resources and structure to keeping its own people suppressed. On the information side, is it something that Iran has learned from other countries, other regimes, if not the technical know-how, at least the principle of being able to do it? Or is it kind of perversely a leader in this and a country that other regimes are looking toward to say, oh, look, they can basically suppress their population by eliminating information, essentially. We could figure out how to do the same thing. Well, both. But they've also learned from not only countries like China, for example, but they've also watched how Syria's the war criminal, that is the dictator of Syria, Bashar al-Assad, has controlled information in times of uh, domestic peril. And they've got intelligence and security people deployed throughout Syria, and they've watched how shaping information is able to impact societies and also impact how the outside world responds to certain events. So if I were to ask you just or your listeners to just look on the internet to see what is out there on Iranian activities in Syria, which are quite significant, you'll see very little there because Iran likes to shape the narrative externally. But when it comes to deploying a system of this nature, there are very few countries who do this, in large part because it's very expensive and they don't see the need to deploy such technology. But if you're an Iranian hardliner, and I should say that although this this system was put forward by Iran's hardliners and initially possibly opposed by Iran's president, who was concerned about how it, it would impact technology, even Iran's president, who is considered to be less hardline, is a supporter of this system. And indeed, his government funded its creation. So what they're doing is they're trying to shape how the external world interacts with their people. Final question for you, Norman. Prior to these protests, and, and kind of unrelated maybe to them, but, but related specifically to U.S. sanctions, there have been a number of U.S. technology companies, Amazon being the most notable, because Amazon's always the most notable, that have basically stopped doing business in Iran or offering their services there because of U.S. sanctions. So, for example, Amazon Web Services, which kind of runs so much of the internet here in the U.S. and globally, has stopped working there. And, and people from merchants to others have said that their business has basically gone away. From your perspective, are those sorts of sanctions or those sorts of blockages, are those effective in accomplishing U.S. policy or are they counterproductive? Well, that's a very subjective response that one would give. And indeed, you can see people on different sides of this argument. So first, 
I believe we should do everything possible to uh, offer technologies that would allow the Iranian people to communicate with themselves and to see the outside world as it is, warts and all. I've always thought the Iranian people need to choose their own form of government. That's not ours to impose. But at the same time, they need to understand the alternatives or the possibilities that exist, exist for them. At the same time, when you provide that technology, you need to go into this with your eyes wide open. You are enabling hardliners to suppress their own people. Technology provides ways to observe people. We have concerns of privacy rights in the United States. Well, what if that were turned against you in terms of suppressing political rights? That's a thin line. And finally, many of those technologies would enable the prosperity of the hardline organizations who control large portions of Iran's government. The Revolutionary Guards control the telecommunications, major telecommunications countries inside. So you've got to decide as a policymaker, what do you want to do? But just know nothing comes free. You turn off this technology, you're hampering the inflow of information. You provide this technology, you are indeed bolstering the very hardliners and perhaps aiding the suppression uh, they apply to the Iranian people. So it's a very difficult question and one for which there is uh, no clear answer. Norman Rule, thank you so much for joining us this morning. My pleasure. My final two right after this. There is more news out there than ever before, but these days it's harder than ever to find it and to know what to trust. Axios AM takes the effort out of getting smart by synthesizing the 10 stories that will drive the day and telling you why they matter. Subscribe at signup.axios.com. And now back to the Pro Rata Podcast. Now it's time for my final two. And first up is Google, which has fired four employees who'd been involved in protests and organization over company activities like its work with the military, with China, and handling of internal sexual harassment allegations. The company claims that it fired the employees over violations of data security policies, which is something that will probably get litigated, literally, in the months to come. But for now, it's a significant escalation of tensions between the company and its employee activists. And as Axios' Ina Freed wrote, quote, Google grew up with a culture that famously promoted internal debate, but more recently its management has responded to leaks of meetings with stricter policies, end quote. And finally, a worthy Thanksgiving recommendation from New York Times columnist David Leonhardt. Not a recipe or way to avoid uncomfortable political conversations, but rather to turn off your phone for the entire day. No checking emails or sports scores or upcoming Black Friday promotions. Leonhardt cites the example of a high school teacher who assigned her students to turn off their phones for a full weekend and then write about the experience. She said that while some of them had difficulties, really as any addict would, they reported less stress and quote, a few said that they actually sat down for dinner with their parent or parents and had meaningful dialogue for the first time in months. And we're done. Big thanks for listening. And to my producers, Tim Shovers and Jesse Lee, have a great Thanksgiving break and we'll be back next Monday with another Pro Rata Podcast.